We're in the book of Matthew. Um, if you have your Bibles, could you break that out? And if you have a journal, I would love to take. Um, I would love for you to take that out as well. I'm really excited about this chart I put together to help frame um, the Sermon on the Mount. And I worked on this for a while. And I hope that, you know, our small goose, we're walking through this text together, which is really exciting to me. Some of you guys have um, told me, man, I'm really looking forward to your sermon on Sunday to see how you're going to parse this. We've had these questions here, or we didn't know how it was relevant there. And that, oh my gosh, that's like music to my ears for people in our community to be excited to look at the passage that you've already spent some time on. And I hope that this would be a tool for you to interpret the Sermon on the Mount going forward uh, that I'm laying out in front of you, right? That it will kind of put a framework on the sermon. I do have to say that, I, you know, I read a lot of commentaries and whatnot, but I kind of put t- this together myself, which I'm proud of and, you know, not technically a scholar, so... Anyways, could be wrong. Um, here you go. So when you look at the Bible, uh, where's my Bible? Here you go. Uh, Matthew chapter 5. Go ahead and pull that out. I would love for you to turn there. We have Jesus kind of addressing these, these big um, ethical codes that the disciples are, that the Jewish culture has, right? So he talks about murder. In, chap- in chapter 5, verse 21, adultery in chapter 27, divorce 31, oath 33. And that's what we're going to be talking about, making promises. And in the Jewish culture, he's quoting all of them, right? You have heard, do not commit murder. You have, se- you have heard, do not commit adultery. You have heard, don't give a divorce, uh, don't have a divorce unless you give a certificate. And what he's doing is he's talking about these rules and regulations that the Jewish people are abiding to, uh, that, the, that the rabbis are teaching. But what he does is he takes these, these ethics, these uh, religious conducts, and he says, even though you haven't murdered, you haven't stabbed anyone, even though you haven't committed adultery, even though you, you haven't broken an oath given to God, you're doing all of these religious things, but your hearts are evil. And that's what he's revealing here. You might be keeping all of your ethical codes. You might be keeping the law in its technicality, in the lettering of it, but there's still evil in your heart. So you haven't murdered someone, but you have hate and contempt for them. Your heart is still evil. You haven't physically committed adultery, but you've lusted after other women. And you use divorce as an opportunity to commit adultery, right? So they're playing with the lines there. And he's confronting their heart. You think you're righteous but you're, because you've followed these religious laws. But if you dig deep enough, you'll see that your heart is still evil. You said you haven't broken an oath to the Lord, and yet you've used other words to manipulate people. And so he goes down the line in all of these ethics that the Jews think that they're keeping, that the Pharisees think that they're flawless in, and he, and he delves into their hearts, and he says, you, you still called your brother a fool yesterday. You still looked at that woman lustfully. Uh, you still divorced your wife so that you could sleep with the woman that you looked at lustfully. You still manipulated people, even though you didn't break a promise. You didn't break your pinky promise. And then he says, 
So how do you change your hearts? How can it be not about not doing these behaviors, but having your heart be good so that your behaviors are also good? How can our hearts be filled with forgiveness so that we love others instead of hate them, so that we give them value? How can our hearts be filled with faithfulness and love for our wife so that we keep this covenant marriage? How can we have an authentic uh, heart, a heart of integrity, so that our mouths are naturally speaking truths instead of this physical, external boundary and behavioral modification, how can our hearts change so that our actions naturally change? Well, then we go to Matthew chapter 5, verse 3 to 12, and he talks about the Beatitudes. That's how he starts. We start with heart posture. Is our heart hungry for the Lord? Is our heart thirsting after him? Is our heart meek and ready to learn? Where is our heart before God. And then he speaks about abiding in his word, right? After he speaks about the heart, he says in verse 17, I haven't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. So as we have a correct heart posture, we're willing to receive the words of God. That we believe that the word of God is more solid and reliable and dependable than the very earth that we're standing on. Heaven and earth will pass away, but not the smallest pen stroke of the Torah. So our heart changes when the posture is correct, when we allow Jesus in, and when we give our life to submitting to the word of God. If we don't do that, we're just trying to modify behavior. And then lastly, we look at verse 13 to to 16. When we do these internal things, um, Jesus starts to change our hearts. When our hearts change, our behavior change, changes. And when our behavior changes, we're able to be the salt of the earth. We're able to be the light of the world, right? And it says in verse 13, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Now, this list between behavior and heart continues to expand throughout the Sermon on the Mount. And yet I hope that it continue, can be continued to frame, be framed in this way, that our heart is changed, um, that Jesus is about heart change. And our heart changes because we have this posture, th- these attitudes as we sit before our great teacher, as we sit before his word. Now we're in uh, Matthew chapter 5. Verse 33, uh, this is about oaths, okay? Again, or making promises. <laughs> oaths is a, is a very old word. Again, you have heard that it is said, do not, uh, said to people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill, the Lord, uh, fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, neither by heaven nor for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. 
Now, I know you're looking at this, and you're like, man, I don't know the last time I swore by Jerusalem. You know, that's not a current problem I have, uh, swearing by, by heaven. I haven't done that for a while. Um, but I think that what Jesus is saying here in, in this context is people had this high value for saying, I, I swear I'll do this, um, I swear to God I will do this. If you say that, you're like locked in. Like you, you have to do it. But, but no one wanted to do that. No one wanted to get locked in, right? And so, so what it's saying is that, okay, you're keeping the letter of the law by not locking it in by saying, by, I will swear by God. And so they would manipulate the system. So when they're trading like ore for wheat or brick for wood or sheep for, you know, a development card, um, they would say, okay, I swear that if you trade me your ore now, the next time I get a sheep, I will give it to you, right? And I'm not going to swear by God because then I have to keep it. So I'm going to swear by Jerusalem. I'm going to swear by, by heaven and earth. And then when you're asking for your wood or sheep, I, I lost track of my analogy, I'll be like, oh, I, I'm not going to give it to you because I didn't swear by God. I swore by Jerusalem. Ha <laughs> ha. That's my way out. Does that make sense? Or it's like if you were doing business and then you snuck in a clause in your contract, you're like, oh yeah, I'll trade you my sheep. And then you're like, except for the speckled sheep. And then all your sheeps are speckled because that's how genetics works. Um, there was like, Jacob had that problem. Um, and then, and then you, you get by, right? So it's like Jesus saying like, you have kept your oath by when you, like the Jewish people, they're keeping their promise to God, but their hearts are evil. Their hearts are still trying to manipulate people. So they're not going to swear to God. They're going to swear by all these other things. They're going to put loopholes in their contracts. They're going to try to manipulate the system. They're going to keep the letter of the law, but break all these other parts of the law. And Jesus is saying to live with integrity. Um, and, and I think this really has everything to do with how we do work, right? How we do business. Are we someone who wants to try to earn a couple extra thousand dollars under the table? Or are we willing to look someone in the eye and say, hey, here's the good parts about my product, but here's something that it doesn't do as well. And, and, and I, I love my mechanic because he could have ripped me off like three separate times, but he doesn't. And, and I just have this trust with him, right? I actually ended up inviting him to my wedding. Like, I liked him. I don't know if you ever had a mechanic you can trust, but I have one. He's in Roland Heights. Uh, his place is called Tomato Auto, but I thought his name was Tomato. His name is Joe. And I called him Tomato for five years. <laughs> Anyways. When God's, when God's building out his kingdom, when God's saying, what does it look like to live in this community of heart transformation? He's saying, we're people, we are a people, we are a community that forgives one another, that doesn't devalue each other. We're a community that has pure eyes, that love our sisters, that protect them, that love our brothers, that are faithful to our wives. We are a community that has weight to our words, not just with each other, but with everyone we interact with, that we have this honesty about us. Um, 
You know, I wonder, put simply, do we mean what we say from a business perspective, from a social perspective? Or is there our heart and then we, we filter it, we think about how to hype something, how to hide something, how to twist something, and that's what our words become. There's something really refreshing and I would say really good about someone who's, who's honest, right? Where you don't have to second guess what they're saying, where you don't have to, where you're not wondering if they're trying to manipulate you or sell you on something, where when they tell you um, that, that they care about you or that you're a close friend, there's truth behind it rather than, you know, manipulation. I wonder as a community if we mean what we say. You know, I, I wonder if, if there's times where we, you know, express our, our love for someone, but our hearts are just apathetic. Or if we say something good about someone in front of them, but behind them we say everything else. There's, Jesus is saying that he wants to see simplicity in our, in our speech, in the way that it reflects our heart. And I think we can communicate not only with our words, but with our social media too, you know? I feel like that's such a broad way in which we communicate. And I wonder if our internal life and our external or our social media life is consistent. Are we trying to portray to people somebody that we're not? Are we trying to pretend that we're richer or more popular or more adventure more adventurous than we are on social media and and why do we do that? Why is there a disparity between how we snapchat and how our actual relationship is? You know, I know couples that aren't doing well and then they're just smiling and all over each other on their social media and for me I think there's something wrong with that. I know you're judging someone right now. Don't judge them, right? Because we all do something to that extent. When we look at our Facebook wall, it's a better picture than who we actually are. But I think that what Jesus is saying is, how do we build integrity between who we are internally and who we present ourselves to be? How do we build consistency between what's going on in our heart and what's going on in our speech? How do we find cohesion there? <clears throat> I, think, I think it becomes easy when our hearts are transformed, easier. When, there's, when we are more about who we are than how people see, see us to be. When we are more about being than doing because who we are if if we just presented who we are it would be easy does that make sense but if we're trying to present who we hope to be who we want other people to see us as who who they are that's like work and what jesus is saying is that let me continue to transform your heart so that there can be a celebrated integrity between who you are and who you present yourself to be. And, but I remember sitting in seminary, always, every time I preach for the last, I don't know, 15 years, 
there's this, there's this dissonance between my life and God's word, right? God's word is perfect. Jesus lives it perfectly. And then there's me talking to you on Sundays, way under the perfect word of God and Jesus who embodies it. I remember asking my seminary professor, what do I do with the dissonance between my life and God's word? What do you do with the places that you feel weak in or you feel embarrassed about or you feel shameful of? Um, how do you continue? How do you build that consistency when all of those things still reside? When my life isn't totally transformed where I just like, hey, everyone, I'm perfect, right? One day, maybe not. Okay, um, you are loved and accepted by Jesus in the journey and he's with you. I think that's the first truth we need to grapple with. That there's this distance between who we are and God's word, who we are and who we want to be. But he loves us and accepts us where we're at. He's with us in it. You know, I, I just, I've come a, I think um, if it's just about not doing something externally, we could just shame and guilt ourselves into that. I can just yell at you all day about your sin and you might stop. But heart transformation doesn't come through yelling. Heart transformation comes because we're accepted and loved by the Father. And then we can expose our weaknesses instead of hide them. And he's able to love and and receive us there. And I think that when we really believe that we are accepted and loved by God, we will love and accept ourselves. You know, I think that's one of the best ways that we can see whether we've really really took in a truth is that it's not just the way God sees us, but it becomes how we see us. That we see ourselves through God's eyes. That's how we know we received it. And we say, not only does God love and receive me, the best and the worst of me. I don't have to divorce myself and only present the godly part to him. Like he holds all of me, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And when I really get that, I can hold all of me. I can hold my best and my worst together. And, and the way I love and accept myself because God loves and accepts me is different than detached from God. If I just love and accept myself without God, it becomes this complacent, like, I don't care. I don't have to improve. I'm just the way I am. But when we bring God's love and acceptance to us, causing us to love and accept ourselves, we can continue to journey toward him while feeling that love and acceptance. When we do that for us, we're able to do that for others. That's another great tell. If you have a hard time accepting and loving people around you, they're not good enough, they're not performing well, I wish they were more Christian, there's probably parts of you that you haven't really accepted, that you hate, parts of you that you deny, parts of you that you've rejected. If you've done this well, you can do that, do it well for the people around you. When you do that, you can live honestly in front of others and have consistency in your internal and external life. 
You know, the reason why we put on a facade, the reason why we say something externally that we don't mean in our hearts, the reason why we're trying to get that 100th Facebook like from our baby putting on a hat and then taking it off again is because there's something that we want other people to see um, that we are not. But if we really feel the weight of God's love and acceptance and have received it, There's this like really beautiful freedom of, hey, this is where I'm at. And, you know, I, I don't do everything well, and I don't do anything perfectly, but I do this pretty well. And I've kind of forced you. <laughs> You've given me this great gift of receiving me as your pastor as is, right? Because And I forced you to do that by sharing a lot of my flaws with you. But I, I, I'm willing to do that because I've grown in this journey of saying, of loving, ex- accepting myself because God loves and accepts me. And so I can tell you about my struggle with sexual addiction. I can have a conversation last night with Tommy and Ken about how if I ever invested in Bitcoin, which I'm feeling hardcore FOMO there, that I would do it immediately as a gambling addict because I have all of those tendencies and I I used to gamble. Um, That's not why we're in financial debt, by the way. (laughs) I haven't haven't gambled for for like at least seven years. Praise the Lord. Um, but I know, I know that's part of me. I know I have a gambling addict inside of me that Bitcoin is just like, is just like man, it, it's just like perfect for Bitcoin. Bitcoin would just pull, pull that out of me immediately. And I know that about myself. Uh, I know the flaws that I have as a leader. And I don't, I don't feel like I need to hide that from you guys. You know, I don't need to be that the pastor everyone looks up to for everything. We got some amazing men and women in this room um, that I get to learn from and that you can learn from in places that I fail. And I think I'm able to hold and be honest with you and, and, and love those things about me because I just, I'm God's kid. What else matters? <laughs> I'm his kid. I'm his, I'm his son. You're his daughter. You're his son. He loves you. I mean, compared to being a daughter or son of God, who cares whether I'm a pastor? Who cares whether I, I can do something really well or not? Right? I'm his kid. And I think if you can just bring that in, all of you are his, is his kid. The best and the worst of you. Your greatest failings, your best achievements. When I look at Liam, I'm not like, Man, you, had, you did 100 steps today. I love you more. You fell, you fell five times. I love you less. I don't even think about like, those things with him, right? Like, I don't even think about his achievements, his next developmental stage, and, and attached to my love for him, right? I want him to grow, but I, he's, he's my son. And that's how God sees us. We've, we've for some reason... We've bought into this achievement mentality with God. And I get it. Our whole life is surrounded by achievement. And that's how we get love and acceptance everywhere else. But God's, God's our dad. When we get that, we can, 
love and accept ourselves, we can live honestly, and we can do this whole like saying what we mean thing, presenting who we are thing, and not having to impress anyone thing. And there's such great freedom there. Um, there's such great freedom when we're not managing our image, when we're not trying to be better than we are, when we're just comfortable in our own skin, when we're comfortable in our own strengths and weaknesses, and, and people can just see us, and we're, we're okay. You know, I, I just, um, um, again, two weeks ago, shared about lust, and sitting with my parents the next day, I know they're there, right? I mean, they're just like, dude, we're so proud of you. They didn't say, dude, son, uh, we're just so proud of you for sharing uh, your weakness and giving people a way to relate and and walk out too. And other brothers have told me, I, I never thought I could share this, and that day I did. Um when we do that, we are a picture of Jesus' community. Just being real and having a faith that's gritty instead of glamorous. Um, and that's attractive. Just for a few minutes, I would love for us just to look at this. No one does it perfect. I don't do it perfect. Some of us really struggle, though. That's okay. If we could just look at one thing in our life or two things that were like, man, if I were to be honest, I'm fronting this. I'm faking this. I want people to see me this way and I'm not. How do we take the not living honestly in front of people and start tracing it back and saying, I'm not living honestly or I'm presenting something about my life that isn't true or isn't all true. I'm trying to hype this area. And it's because I haven't loved and accepted the reality of where I'm at. How can we just kind of come to terms with that? And then go one step up again and say, but God has accepted me here. He's loved me. He sees it. And he, and he, he says, you're my daughter. You're my son. I'm not going anywhere. I'm not going anywhere. How many times do you fall? I'm not going anywhere. I'll, I'll be there. I'll help you up. I'm not going anywhere. I love you. Can we just take one or two areas of our life and just uh, end up end up presenting it before the Lord and seeing Him with us, seeing Him say, "I, I'm with you in this. I love you in it. You're my kid." <clears throat> God, we um, yeah, we just come to you and. Um, it's so uh, frustrating to me that, you know, church could be a fake place or we feel like we got to divorce our good and bad to be with Christians or to be with you. And it's, you know, it's, that's like so the opposite of what you want. And so I hope that today you would uh, take us on this journey with you um, in the places that we we have a hard time accepting about ourselves and the places that we fake with others or that we, um, or we self-perceive incorrectly and that we could just be like brutally honest um, 
and hold it in front of you, our weakness, our failings, our addictions, um, our pride, you know, our judgmentalness, and, and, um, and see how you are there and you're willing to take, to take it. Um, you took it on the cross. You know, you paid for, for those sins so that you can be with us. Um, that's why you died, um, so that we wouldn't have to separate those things from you, uh, ourselves from you, any part of it. Um, yeah, so would you talk to us and um, help us to feel your, your love in a new way, in a, in a space that we, we haven't felt before. All right, I'm just going to give you guys uh, two, three minutes to pray, and then when you're ready, I would love for you to take communion. And um, yeah, love and acceptance, you know, and Jesus dying for us.